You're listening to the Betway Insider Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Betway Insider Podcast. On this week's episode, we're joined by a French football expert to discuss English clubs in the Champions League, why Zlatan works harder at United than he did at PSG, and how dives like Deli Alice can be stopped once and for all. But that's not everything. Let's get started. Hello there, my name is Tom Bowles and this is episode 35 of the Betway Insider podcast. Alongside me in the studio is resident tipster Alan Alga. How you doing Tom? Good to see you Al and joining us in the studio this week is a French football expert uh, who appears on the BT Sports Goal Show and plenty of other places. A very warm welcome to Julien Laurent. Hello guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, coming up, we've got all the usual features. Finish this sentence. Why is our quick questions? But first, I want to start with the Champions League. Uh, Julien, um, Premier League teams have endured a, a lean run in this competition recently. Uh, have you seen anything this season so far that makes you think that might change once the, the knockout stages come around? Uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I think, I think Arsenal have... The thing about Arsenal is... They look to me too often like a cup team, which might be a good thing for the Champions League. I'm not sure they can last the whole way in the league, uh, although I think they will come close again. But, but in the cup, they, they're capable of beating anyone on their day. And then on the other hand, against PSG, for example, they, they deserve to lose twice. They should have been beaten easily 3-0 in Paris and probably 4-2 at the Emirates as well. So once, you know, once the opposition got a bit better in the Champions League when it was not Basel and Ludogorets. Then they struggled a bit and I'm not sure how far they can go depending obviously on the draw. For cities, it's always the same. It's which, which city? The one that beat Barcelona and was outstanding for those 40 minutes you know, on, on each side of, of half-time or you know, the one who struggled against Celtic both home and away. Um, the one that we've seen in the league that can't keep a clean sheet, can't win at home. That's the thing. And for Leicester, I think they were very lucky in the draw of the group stages. That's why they're in the draw for the last 16. And they would need another very, very lucky draw to go a bit further. Yeah, it seems to have unraveled for them a little bit. Uh, Al, uh, Betway inside writer Jack Green, as you know, is an Arsenal supporter. And he uh, enthusiastically mentioned this week that the last time Arsenal went unbeaten in the group, they reached the final. The inference being, I think, that they're poised to do it again as a bookie and a Gunner supporter, what do you what do you make of that, Al? I can't agree with him at all. <laughs> uh, I've got to agree with Julian there. Uh, that the fact is that Arsenal throughout this whole season, we're going to mention the Premier League in a bit and come on to some questions mm-hmm. that we received on our prices. But let's just take the Champions League price. They're twenty to one. They've won the group, which is a fantastic achievement. Um, there are difficult teams that lie ahead in second place, which we've seen. But winning the group has an important factor to it, regardless of your opposition. And that's that you play at home in the second leg. And statistically, that is an advantage, regardless of the disparity between the two teams that get drawn. If you're at home in that second leg, you do have a slight advantage that adds to your chance and your ability as a team. So there's there's a different factor this year. And four of the teams that they can draw, they will be favourites against. Right. I was just mentioning uh, just off air that when they drew Monaco and thought that that was a fantastic draw they still contrive to mess that up and I've not seen anything this season despite the last two results that puts me off saying anything other than what I said on this podcast a few weeks ago was that against the better teams Arsenal have not proved this season and in recent times that they can actually step up 
so no repeat of 2006. Um, <laughs> I'd like it. <laughs> Enjoyed my trip to Paris, apart from the result. I'm sure you did. Uh, Julianne, I don't know if you, know, if you read it, but uh, Miguel Delaney, who's also been on this pod, he wrote a, mm. a piece this week, and he was kind of lamenting how stagnant the group stages have become. Obviously, on the goal show, you see a lot of, of the games. Is that something that, first of all, you, you agree with? Yeah, so I agree in, you know, yeah, in... In some ways, I, I, I agree with him that there was not much at stake on Tuesday and Wednesday. There's a f- still a few groups. Uh, you know, we all looked at the uh, the, the Benfica, Besiktas, Napoli group, and then Besiktas were like ten nil down after five minutes, and you know, <laughs> down an to implosion. nine men, and it was like, all right, okay, that was the group where you still had a lot at stake, and we didn't know any of the first and two, and then after five minutes, it was over. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I still thought I still thought this group stage was very interesting. Again, you get to see teams like Rostov and even Ludo Goretz, who I thought played really well against Arsenal. They were, you know, they were ahead uh, at home, away at the Emirates. They created chances when it was still nil nil in in Paris. Obviously, they they should have won. So it's, it's, I still find it interesting. However, the fact is that in the last 16, only six leagues will be represented, which I believe is a first. Mm-hmm. It's only the, the big five leagues plus Portugal, which is, in a way, shows you a lot about what the Champions League is, is all about now. The wealthiest will win. I think um, the teams that were already qualified before Tuesday and Wednesday, I think Miguel put that in his piece, were the wealthiest in their group already. So there was, there was no surprises there. It's probably time for them to change it, not the way they've sort of agreed already to change <laughs> it with, you know, we know all a, a bit of dodgy decisions in terms of even if you don't finish in the top four in certain countries, you will still go through to the Champions League. But I still, it's probably the right time to change and, and do something a bit different. But on the other hand, just to finish, you see Ludo Goretz going instead of Basel in the Europa League. You see Rostov instead of PSV. You see Legia Warsaw instead of Sporting. So somehow, you know, even those smaller clubs still make room for themselves in the Europa League okay but it's still good progress I think for them Is there any uh, political kind of motivation obviously we're, they're protecting the big clubs so if it is time for a change is that actually going to happen like what, or what would have, have to happen for them to change it the only, I think the only way it looks like uh, the only thing that will happen is that the bigger club will be even more present so like we said the two million clubs <laughs> will be there even if they finish ninth and 10th in their, in, in their league uh, you, you know, you could you, you could see I don't know maybe a, a Valencia as well trying to get in there, and all those clubs who probably should be in the Champions League had they been more stable and don't mm-hmm. you know worked a bit better should be there. I don't think is the answer. The answer is maybe I think encourage those smaller countries to have stronger teams and and be able to compete a bit more and not seeing the six nils and the eight fours and all those results we've seen this season, for example. Okay, how uh, where's the uh, what countries the Champions League winner going to come from? Well, Spain's the very obvious favourite because they hold two teams in the top three in the betting. Barcelona at three to one favourite, Real Madrid at eleven to two, and uh, there's a couple of others in there as well. Obviously, you've got Seville within your bet, and uh, obviously Atletico. So five to six as a package to back all four. A Spanish winner of the Champions League is five to six. A German winner two to one. English winner four to one. And there's some big prices for the other three leagues that are involved. It's interesting to go back to the way that the groups were drawn. What we've actually seen now, in the last 16, um, six of the bottom-rated seven teams within the 16 
actually come from three of the groups. You've got Leicester and Porto there. You've got Monaco and Bayer Leverkusen. And you've got Napoli and Benfica. They were all in the same groups together. It all within three groups. They've come from three of the groups. And they now sit as six of the seven bottom teams in the betting. So there were three extremely weak groups according to our ratings. And Tottenham couldn't even get through one of them. And I'm not saying that as an Arsenal fan. I'm just saying that that actually screams out loud as to how bad Tottenham had to be to not go through from a group which is now being rated as uh, two of the bottom four teams in the betting. Okay, thank you, Al. Uh, one big name who's not in the Champions League is Latan Ibrahimovic. He's obviously in the Premier League. Um, obviously, you follow his time at PSG. How have you kind of rated his adaptation to England so far? Um, okay, so the guy is 35. I think people forget that he's 35 years of age. And although he's a force of nature and for a 35-year-old, I mean... You know, it looks amazing, but he's still 35. Mm-hmm. And when he was younger, he never used to run. He's not going to run now at 35. So all of the United fans who come to me and say, he's lazy, he doesn't run, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he's not enough. That's Ibra. When you signed him, you knew it was not going to change. However, I thought he's less lazy now than he used to be at PSG. Really? I think he realised very quickly that obviously the level was higher in, in the Premier League. No surprise there, but also the expectations were, well, not so much the expectation, but the um, the pressure from the fans would be different. At PSG, he could do anything he wanted, and he did a lot. You know, he sacked the cook, he parked his car in front of the entrance because he, he was not happy where they wanted him to park. You know, <laughs> he made he, he he made everything. That was his club, and I think at United, and, and that's a, obviously a sign of, of a very intelligent guy, but. At United, you realize, okay, I will have to run a bit more. Mm-hmm. I can't just do the the sort of like eighty percent walking that I used to do in France. It's just not. It's not going to work. And I and I really think that he works much harder than he did at PSG. He plays in a different way than he did at PSG, where he loved the ball so much that he wanted to drop deep and touch it a lot, and and you know basically did what he wanted to do. <laughs> He's more. He, he plays more for the team at United, and I think that's why. He scored already, I think, 10 in, in 20 matches. Yeah, it's got 12 overall in all 12 competitions. 12 overall in yeah. competition, sorry, yeah. Uh, and I think he's worked more. I was a bit sceptical when he signed. I said, OK, I want to see how he would react to the change and everything. And he did what I thought he would do and what I wanted him to do, which was to adapt. And even at 35, change a little bit. Not massively. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to be Diego Costa and, you know, and fighting on every ball and running everywhere and defending and attacking and this and that. But he's doing more than he used to at PSG and probably than he used to in Italy as well. And I think, although at 35, he was, you know, he's not in his prime anymore, but he still, I think, helps the team a lot in certain so, games at least. Maybe not when the opposition is top, top, top. But, you know, he's, he's still there and I think he's, he's had a very, very interesting input to the team. Absolutely. One thing I thought he might be slightly better at, I thought he'd be more clinical. And obviously he's missed some chances. Is okay. that fairly typical of him? Is that unfair? Or is that a decline because he is 35 years of age? No, always. Really? Always been like this. Because he's the most arrogant, cocky and, <laughs> and complacent guy, you know, football, footballer in the world. And I think he takes a chance to say, oh, I'm going to score easy. He doesn't, but he thinks the next one, I'm going, to, I'm going to score easy. He might miss it again, but he said the third one and the third one goes in. Yeah. I just find a bit... And it's, it's, it's on Ibra, but also on other strikers. I find people a bit harsh, and I see that with Cavani a lot, about them missing chances. And yes, on television or in the stadium, it looks easy. The ratio of, of shots and goals scored is around 20% for a top world-class striker, 20-25%. Mm-hmm. 
you are sometimes above that if if you're in a very good season. Obama Young, I think this year is 32% of not just shot on target, shot in general, and then goal scores. 20, 20%, 25% is already very good, you yeah. know. So you shoot, you, shoot, you basically shoot four times, you score one goal. And yet, people still criticize a lot. People like Ibra or Cavani, if they miss one chance, two chances, it's impossible to score all your chances. Otherwise, they will be on 50 goals a season, 100 goals a season. You just can't do that. So, yeah, it probably should be a bit more clinical. So should Cavani, Aguero, Costa, all of them. But I think he's already... Already in doing well. He's doing okay. Yeah. Uh, when Ibrahimovic came to England from France, the perception from a lot of kind of English football voices was that he would struggle because he'd been on this four-year holiday in yeah. France, which isn't particularly <laughs> complimentary. Um, what was your view of that from, you know, obviously knowing both leagues? Yeah, it's a, it's a running joke I use on Twitter a lot, and I say, oh, yeah, I know, Ligue 1 is shit, French football is shit. And I said two things. The first one, okay, Arsenal finished top of their group against PSG, but... It should have been PSG, then PSG should have been mm-hmm. in them twice. And Monaco humiliated Spurs over two games. At Wembley, they played very well, they won 2-1. But the game in Monaco, they should have won 5-0. They were all over them. And at that time, Spurs were unbeaten in the Premier League and best defence in the Premier League. And my point on the goal show on BT Sport was like, you see, I don't mind people saying French football is shit and French football, sorry, French football is rubbish and we might have to cut that. French football That's is okay. this and French football is that. And, you know, I, uh, yeah, of course it's not as good as Spain, it's not as good as England, maybe not probably as good as Bundesliga, but we still have some very good team and some very good players and I think PSG and, and Monaco show that this season in Champions League against English opposition uh, and, 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 and also every summer and every winter... English clubs come to France to do their shopping. So how can our league be with that bad if every single club in the Premier League and often in the Championship as well come to France to sign players who then will become very good players for their mm-hmm. team? We must be doing something right, I think, and maybe the level is not as bad as people think it is. OK, uh, you've touched upon it then. Um, football fans love transfer speculation, <laughs> gossip. They love to find out about the, you know, who's the next big thing. Which players in France do you think will be coming over to the Premier League shortly? God, I think there will be a few again. Maybe not so much in, in January because Monaco are in a strong position. Yeah. And they, they, I don't think they will sell in January. Probably more the Exodus will come in the summer with players like Bakayoko, who without doubt will come to England, whether that's United, whether that's Arsenal, Spurs. I think everybody is clearly looking at him because he's been outstanding for Monaco in midfield. Mm-hmm. Whether that's Thomas Lemar, Bernardo Silva, Kylian Mbappé. I think Monaco have maybe between five and seven players that will be perfect for the Premier League and I think English clubs will come and, and do their market in Monaco in the summer I think Lyon is an interesting one with Lacazette it's every, seven, every <laughs> six months it's the same where is Lacazette going to go is Lacazette going to yeah. go to Arsenal is Lacazette going to go to United where is Lacazette going to go he was disappointed in the Champions League this year and I don't think that helps him right. because I think bigger clubs I mean we, you know, we, we talk top six from yeah, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, City, Arsenal and Spurs are looking at him and saying, OK, if he can't perform in the Champions League for Lyon against Sevilla, against uh, Juventus in, in this group and against Dinamo, even Dinamo Zagreb, he scored one there, but it, I, I didn't think he was that good. It's, it's a problem. So I, I don't know about, like I said, but Tolisso, I think, has a great future ahead of him, the, the Lyon midfielder as well. Uh, Fekir, what about Fek- Fekir's talent is, is incredible, although he hasn't been performing well enough mm-hmm. so far so we've got plenty and we've got others in, 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 in other clubs as well so again I think you're going to see a lot of French faces or at least 
players from France soon in the Premier League. Look forward to a couple of them rocking up at Old Trafford. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, back to the Premier League. Obviously, Zlatan is back in the goals. Uh, I checked his price to be Golden Boot uh, winner this week, Alan. He's 9-1 to one, uh, behind Harry Kane, Alexis Sanchez and Aguero and the new favourite, Diego Costa. Al, was that changed because uh, of Aguero's suspension or was it because that Costa produced one of the finest uh, Premier League uh, centre-forward displays last weekend? Bit of both, actually. Yeah, um, the prices have, have gone opposite ways for those reasons that you outlined. Thirteen to eight favourite Diego Costa, three to one drifting second favourite Aguero, and the biggest move of all, and probably one of the big surprises in a market that always has one surprise each season. Obviously, it was Vardy last year. Uh, the year before that, I think it was Harry Kane, or maybe the two years before that. There's always one surprise in the top goalscorer market in the Premier League. In the top three, in the results at the end of the season, you'll always have someone that was a huge price, bigger than 50 to 1. Mm-hmm. This year, it's Alexis Sanchez because of his positional change. He was priced up as a goalscorer in midfielder, which was around the kind of price that Frank Lampard used to be each year, sort of 50, 66 to 1. You knew you'd tempt in people that were going to get a run for their money when mm-hmm. those kind of players went on a scoring streak but you were never actually worried that you're going to pay out here there's a big liability for us Alexis Sanchez was backed in from 66 to 1 he's now the 5 to 1 third favorite as it looks as if he's going to remain as the first choice uh, player in that position at Arsenal um, I can also add that at the start of the season because it looked as if Arsenal weren't going to buy anybody I tipped up Olivier Giroud for this market <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, I, I got it right, but then got it completely wrong. I got the I got the got the theory right, but then uh, a completely wrong uh, wrong for the right wrong reasons. Selection, yes. Yeah. So Olivier Giroud's <laughs> out to sixty six to one, but you're talking about uh, ratios chance to chance to goal. I think his is like the highest in the last <laughs> two months, isn't it? Something like scored eight goals in nine Tiger. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Yeah, cannot last. <laughs> uh, on the subject of Premier League odds, Al, uh, I saw. Uh, a curious exchange, and an Arsenal fan was angry with you because... That's not curious, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that but that happens every day. For this reason, because Liverpool were a shorter title price than Arsenal. Can you explain a little bit about what happened and why that, why that is? Yeah, first off to say that it's probably one of the most absurd arguments you can ever have <laughs> with somebody because if someone's essentially arguing with you because a price is too big... The only real way to resolve that is for them to get money out of their pocket and back it because if they're saying it's wrong, they obviously think it's value and therefore they should put their money where their mouth is and say, you've got that completely wrong, take my 20 quid and I want to win 130 on Arsenal at uh, 13 to 2. Look, people and bookmakers do this as well because we saw it with City at the start of the season. There's overreaction to a small group of results Mm -hmm. and it can sometimes skew the prices completely. I think what everyone was expecting us to do on Sunday was to say, dear me, that Liverpool result is absolutely shocking. How on earth have they managed to lose from 3-0 up against Bournemouth? Surely they've got to drift completely. We can't make those kind of overreactions off the back of one result. If you actually look at the comparison between the two teams... Arsenal, they've only played one of the top their fellow top half teams away from home, and that was a one-all draw and a poor performance at Old Trafford. If you look at Liverpool, they've already won at Arsenal and at mm-hmm. Chelsea, the two teams above them. They've actually only played uh, they've played six games, sorry, 
from the top half and they've got a, a, a highly respectable 11 points from a possible 18. So again, it does come down to questioning Arsenal's ability against the better teams, but they've, they've, had, a, they've had quite an easy run. I mean, Arsenal have still got to play 14 games against the sides now in the top half with them. And eight of those are going to be away from home where they've always struggled. So I think 13 to 2 is actually poor value. I would actually say they should be more like 8, 9 to 1. The reason they're not is because people get carried away off the back of a couple of good results. And I'm always being told by people I'm too negative about my team. I just I like to give a dose of realism to <laughs> our fan base and, and lots of them don't like it. But I tell you what, when when we went to West Ham on Saturday, I backed Arsenal to win by more than two goals and more than three goals because I thought the team news was right, I think everything else. So I can see where the positives do lie, but I think they are going to be against those smaller teams and when those crunch fixtures come in, I just there's there's nothing there that's convinced us in either Champions League or the Premier League to say that we should be any bigger price. And I think Liverpool at nine to two, they've justified why they're there. Uh, I'll give you the other two prices very quickly: Chelsea five to four favourites, and Manchester City three to one. Again, very similar to the. It's actually uh, it's mirrored. The price moves have actually mirrored the golden boot market with two key players for those teams oh, wow. involved at the weekend. And obviously a very positive result for Chelsea and Costa and a negative result for City and Aguero. They've gone out to 3-1. to one. So 5-4 to four favourites Chelsea, 3-1. to 13-8 favourite Costa, 3-1 to one Aguero. So very similar market. Thank you, Al. Just a word on that. Just of course. The, again, the absence of European competition for both Chelsea and Liverpool is huge. On Tuesday night, Liverpool were having a jolly at the Camp Nou, watching who on earth, who can, in, you know, in this modern football, take their players from Liverpool to go to Barcelona <laughs> for two, two, arguably two, you know, over two days yeah. to watch another match during the season. Uh, when we saw that, we were like, this is amazing. Because, obviously, they know in Europe they can do that. In the meantime, Arsenal were at Basel. And I know it's not fun, but still, they had to play a game. And even if a lot of key players were rested, it's still a game you have to play in midweek where they were having a jolly in Barcelona. And, and it's the time spent preparing for that match, isn't it? The, uh, the travel and all the things that yeah, go around. And, and, and yeah, and for Liverpool, it's the, you know, the banter you're having between team, you know, the, the, how your team is going to gel even more because you're going... Like, if you go away with your mates to watch Barcelona play, yeah. it was exactly like that. And, and you, you just can't deny that. When you when you think about the odds and who is favourite for the league, because that's a huge advantage to both Chelsea and Liverpool. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thank you, chaps. Uh, now it's time for finish this sentence. Uh, that Julian, this is where we tee up our <laughs> Facebook and Twitter followers to answer our question of the week. Uh, after Deli Ali's dubious tumble against Swansea, uh, we asked the best way Can you to say s- that again. Yeah, <laughs> You're very- oh, I feel bad for interrupting. I'm him, trying man. to be impartial. <laughs> uh, we we asked the best way to stop players diving is. Uh, I'm going to come and get your answers in a second, but first I want to re- read out some of my favourite replies. Uh, on Twitter, Hoosrice says, dishing out retrospective bans is the way to go. Uh, once they've been named in shame, they'll think twice about doing it again. Uh, at West Ham DS reckons opposition players should go through them as hard as you can. Um, that's, <laughs> that sounds a bit draconian to me. Um, over on Facebook, Tim Parks agrees with bans after the game. He says there should be a panel of perhaps ex-referees, and if they agree it's simulation, he should be banned for X amount of games, and that could go up incrementally for first, second offences. Um, Craig Farrell he, he tempers that. He says all this retro, retrospective ban stuff is irrelevant. Um, if a player has a three-game ban that will help his team win a game for now, he'd take that trade-off. 
and banning players doesn't afterwards doesn't bring justice to the team that were wronged. Um, my favourite one was uh, from Graham Petrie. He said, interview them straight after the game, make them watch the incident, and then just say, what's all that about? Which I think is a very kind of <laughs> modern yeah, parenting I approach. I love that. I like that too, yeah. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Julian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what, the best way to stop players diving is? Is having the video for those kind of incidents in the box. Just for that, the referee can or not he can decide if he wants just to call it would take five seconds I mean Dele Alli it took less than five seconds to realise the guy dived and then the referee can you know yellow card him or not it doesn't have to be every time but just doesn't give it and I think that would last literally five seconds and the referee will know he needs that kind of help because I do think that on the Dele Alli one for example he can easily he can easily think it's a foul and, give, and given it and, and, and I don't think you can change if someone like Dele Alli or, or other people but for a long time it was only the French it was only Robert Pires <laughs> Robert Pires was the only one to dive now I'm happy that English players dive as well so you can see that it's not just us but, but <laughs> Mike Lowe was good as well yes he was very good you're right but, but my issue with it and I'll do that quickly is like I don't understand and I've played football not at that level but at a very good level I would have never the process in my head would have never been okay I'm entering the box now there's Kyle Norton here I'm going to go down I just don't know how that gets to their head to the point where they say, okay, now three, two, one, I go down. It's just, I find it really hard and I think there's nothing you can do against that. I think the video will help the referee to make the right call and that's the only thing we could do, help the ref to make the right call. I should just actually point out, uh, there was another comment from Alfie David Morris who completely agrees. He said football should learn from other sports, uh, in-game replays installed like rugby. He also then says you could give teams a chance to challenge the decision like in tennis. Wow. American football, I, th- yeah. I think that's an interesting one. One point that I would make, and it's not really giving a solution, but I think one of the most frustrating aspects of the, of the dive or foul is that there actually can be a middle ground of where yeah. a player has not been fouled, but some kind of momentum charging into the box has taken them down. And, and what you'll get is you'll get one set of fans demanding a yellow for diving and one set of fans demanding a yellow for a, 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 demanding a free kick or a penalty for a foul, when actually there is a, there is a middle ground that people are missing. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, there's room for nuance. OK, uh, thanks both. Now on with the next part of the show. Wise Al. Okay, Julian, this is where you take on Al, a.k.a. Wise Al, in our weekly treble competition. Uh, the rules are simple. You each pick three win-draw win-bets for the weekend's matches, and the treble which returns the most profit, if any at all, is the winner. Uh, Alan, you went non-league last week. How did, how did that go? <laughs> uh, not very well at all. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was, I was trying to be clever and avoid a Premier League that looked beset with fixtures look very hard to call and I think it actually did play out like that mm-hmm. um, uh, especially in, in play during matches but uh, I went into non-league and I think one of the things I say about the National League and you have to think about this when I say this a lot of the time this season you couldn't write a betting preview <laughs> even knowing the results as in there's not things you could justify behind the results <laughs> as in that are produced. Yeah. Right, okay. Retrospectively, you couldn't actually say, well, that was bound to happen because X, Y, Z. So that's happening quite a bit in the National League this season. But I tried to be too clever, went into the National League, and I think I only got one out of three. Maybe only, uh, actually, might have been 
zero out of three. I'm sure. I'm sure people will. I'm sure people <laughs> they, will. They will tweet let you know. Uh, Raphael Honigstein's picks didn't come in either, which means the series is poised at one-one. And before we start, I should remind that any profit earned is donated to the English Federation of Disability Sport, with this season's total sitting at just over eight hundred pounds. Julien, your first pick, please. Uh, for PSG in the PSG Nice game on Sunday in Ligue 1 the big top of the table clash between Nice the surprising leaders they've been incredible and Mario Balotelli is back from injury and PSG disappointing third so far four points to drift so they need to win at the Parc des Princes and after two disappointing results against Ludo Goretz and last week against Montpellier in the league I fancy them to win Okay, going French I like it Alan Uh, my first one is quite a simple one Chelsea to beat West Brom odds on Okay, Julian, pick number two, please. Not many risks there. It, Not, Alan, Alan know, plays it like safe. He's, after the shocker of last week, you know after the shocker of last week, he's playing safe. <laughs> it's, the, like, it's the same price as PSG to beat Nice. True, I mean, true. all the things you're saying make me think Nice are the best bet ever this weekend because <laughs> there's no way they should be three to one up. <laughs> Julian, your second pick, please. So I, I went again European and, and I go for the Turin derby between Juventus and Torino, uh, and I go for a draw, which is. You know, might surprise a few people, but I can see Joe Hart having the game of his life against Higuain and Mandzukic and Pjanic and, and all of them. And, uh, and, and Torino, who've been great with Andrea Bellotti, if you don't know him, he's the, the next big thing in Italian football, very promising striker, scoring on the counter. And yeah, I can see a one or draw there. So I go for a draw uh, between Torino and, and Juve. OK, Alan? I'm playing it safe with selection two as well. <laughs> and... Uh, I th- you know, a lot's been said about West Ham. Obviously, we're close to the club and we see them see them week in, week out. Bear in mind, they had 75% of their first-choice defence out against Arsenal at the weekend. They have been so unlucky with injuries this season. Mm-hmm. And if you talk about Dimitri Payet as their best player, if you actually t- change the word best to important, you've actually got players like Cresswell and Antonio that are missing for these key games that are actually important to West Ham. And I think, again, they're going to be without at least one of those two this weekend. And I think that Liverpool, after their trip to Barcelona and their bonding exercise, <laughs> will be another team that, that uh, win at odds-on on the coupon on Sunday. OK, and your final picks, I believe you've both picked the same side and it's a bit of a surprise, well, in my eyes anyway. Julian, your <laughs> final pick, please. Yeah, I went for Spurs to win away at Old Trafford against United on, on Sunday. I just think that the trip, United, we're recording this on Thursday morning. They're, they're playing later today against Zoya Luhansk in, in Ukraine. Sounds like just a, the most <laughs> dodgiest trip ever. Coming back from there, playing on a concrete pitch in like, it's, it was minus 10 yesterday yeah. afternoon. So, sounds dreadful and, and United have to play a strong team because they're, they're not through yet. So I think they'll pay that against Spurs on, on Sunday. OK, and Alan, your reasons were? Well, I'd fancy Tottenham for this game anyway, regardless oh. of everything you've just said. And the fact that all of those variables now come into it, and I think you were saying about a potential uh, to play the game on Friday if, if it's not played this evening. All of those things say to me that Tottenham, who just got their mojo back a little bit in midweek, OK, it was against the team that weren't trying, but I, I think that, they are a very, very good bet at around the 5-2 to two mark. OK, thank you. So just to confirm, Julian has gone for PSG, a draw in the Turin Derby and Tottenham. Al, that treble uh, is potentially going to uh, return how much? 
£395 of profit at 15.8 to 1. Okay, and Al, you've gone for Chelsea, Liverpool and Tottenham. That The price and profit is? Yeah, much safer there because <laughs> uh, I haven't got the draw in to boost it up and I've got two odds on home teams. It's just over 5 to 1. It's like 5.01 to 1. £125 and 42 pence profit. Okay, uh, good luck to you both. Uh, you can keep up to date with those by following Betway on Twitter. There'll be some nice graphics made up and uh, now let's go with the final part of the show the betway insider quick questions okay julian this is all about your life and career (laughs) i'm gonna ask you some questions um let's start off at the beginning Uh, how did your career in football how did that, that all start out I went to uni to study English and history and then went to a journalism school in France as well. And I I got a, an internship, if you want, at, at Le Parisien newspaper in mm-hmm. Paris, which was the, the newspaper I, I dreamed to work for uh, when I was a kid. My dad used to buy it and, and this one and L'Equipe and I always wanted to, to work for them. And they kept me on after after I went there for the summer uh, and I've been working for them ever since. So it's been a great story. They sent me over here. 12 years ago now, and I've been back and forth between Paris and, and London, but yeah. That was my next question, so yeah. we'll go straight on to question Sorry. three. That's all right. <laughs> uh, your Twitter bio says, um, also mentions football consultancy. What For people who might not know, what does what does that entail? Yes, it's, it's just basically um, helping clubs who, who want to and, and come to me about um, players in Ligue 1 or in Ligue 2, the French second division, who also... Uh, has a lot of interesting players that would be cheaper than the one in, in Ligue 1, for example, for less wealthier club, English clubs. But when you think about Sofiane Bouffal, for example, who mm-hmm. I think will come very, very good for Southampton. He, he, he played a lot in the second division before going to um, to Lille. And same with Mares, same with N'Golo Conte. So there's also some gems to find in the second division. So clubs come to me and say, uh, you know, can we have a bit more info or background on this guy or on this guy or or I help them saying okay you should keep an eye on this one or on this one and this one and, and just trying to help the, the best as I can with my knowledge of French football clubs who, who want to fascinating stuff um, Raphael Honigstein he said uh, last week that he kind of felt um, when when German players came to the Premier League they, they developed a nice rapport because there was that feeling of kind of people away from home. Do you kind of feel that sense when, when with French footballers in the Premier League, say with someone like Pogba who's getting criticism, do you feel like a duty to, to defend them when speaking to them about them, sorry, on like maybe English or, or French media outlets? Yes, definitely. There's, there's the sense of... I've, I've been so much more patriotic since living here really? in London, both on, on, the French, on French football in general, the national team and, and the leagues, and also on French players everywhere in, you know, in, in Europe, but especially the ones here in the Premier League or in the Championship. Even, you know, I even take credit for, for Marais, for example, who's Paris-born and bred like <laughs> yeah. me, but I know he doesn't play for France. And every time I say he's French, people on Twitter go like, no, he's not. He's French. He's got a French passport. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I... I and I, yeah, you you feel like defending them, and, and also Rafa was right. He because we all away from home, all abroad, it, the 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 relationship between French journalists and French players here is much nicer than between English journalists and English players, for example, mm-hmm. because we're all aware and we get on well. And I, I do I cover the national team for the newspaper as well, so I go home and away with them, you know, with, with France. And for example, when when uh, when there's a, a weekend of Premier League, and then we go with France. I usually get the same Eurostar train to go to Paris right. from London with Hugo Lloris and, and Laurent Koscielny where we've got plenty of time to, to chat and everything. So that helps a lot compared to English journalists, for example. Just a quick one on Pogba. 
this is kind of for my own yeah. benefit. <laughs> how, how do you think he's doing and what needs to happen for the best to be gotten out of him? Listen, Paul Pogba is a genius. He was a genius at 13, at 14, at 15, at 16. He was always better than anyone else in his whole age group, the age group above, the age group above, then above the other one. That's it. He's 23 years old. And again, a bit like Ibra, people forget he's mm-hmm. so young. He needs to play in his best position, which is on that left-hand side of the three midfield. I'm surprised or even baffled why it took so long for Mourinho to just think, hmm, Michael Carrick would be very good with Paul Pogba. That did seem curious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether that was in a two or in a three. But I do think that we're going to see the best of him. Don't forget, he had a very short summer after the Euros. He wanted to be really, really ready and fit when he arrived at United because he knew for a long time he was coming. And I think... He didn't rest enough in that summer, uh, but there's no worries for you to have, my friend, and, and all of United fans. It would become very, very good for you. It would carry you back to the top without a doubt. Okay, I'm looking forward to that. Um, back to you. The most satisfying career moment of your career so far, Julian? Um, I would say the, the World Cup final in 2006, but the end was so bad. I would say the Euro 2016, but the end was so bad again. <laughs> you know what? I would pick, um, I think covering the, my, my first game covering PSG, because PSG was always my team, was a dream come true. And, and, and seeing my name in the paper, you know, writing a report about PSG was exceptional for me and for my family. I would say that I was very lucky to be in the stadium in Germany in the 2006 World Cup to see France beat Brazil in the quarterfinal with Zinedine Zidane having so far the best individual performance I've ever seen in my whole life, both on television or live in the ground. Because on that evening, he was just unplayable. And those poor Brazilians are still looking for him somewhere because he was just all over them. And, and, and I really felt that night we, um, we won and he was the only assist that Zidane gave Thierry Henry in their whole French career, which is incredible when you think about it. But we all looked at each other from the paper and even the other French journalists who were there. And we, we, we said, wow, that was a privilege to, watch, to witness Zidane in that kind of form tonight. And I guess uh, it kind of made all the more poignant because you knew he was... Uh, yeah, finishing exactly. So we knew there would be only we were we were hoping two more. There were two more. The last one, obviously, we all know what happened. But yeah, it was. But for him, so close to the end to to perform that way was just it was magical. It really was magical. Okay, um, on the Champions League goal show, obviously that came to an end for the time being <laughs> this week. Uh, there was a piece in the Mirror a few weeks ago, and it called it the best football show on TV. <laughs> um, how satisfying has it been to be part of that? Because it is a it's. Uh, football on TV is so established, isn't it? So to do mm. something different, and we were all saying before how much we enjoyed it. So how satisfying has that, that been to be a part of? It has been fantastic. And the, the thing, again, to, to cut a long story, short, a long story short, but when BT got the rights and, and uh, they've asked us because we also do the European football show yep. on BT, we've done that for a long time. And uh, the people at BT said, oh, you know, do you have any ideas for the Champions League? And both Rafa and James Horncastle and, and me, we said, but you know, in our country, in France, Italy and Germany, we've got that thing where it's basically like Soccer Saturday, but we, you're allowed to show all yeah. the goals live as they happen. I grew up with that, you know, when I was a kid and same with when James was in Italy and, and when Rafa was growing up in Germany. And, and we said to them, listen, it's incredible that no one has thought about that before and, and we think you should do that and you should do that with us because we think we've got... The, enough knowledge and you, you need a lot of knowledge to, to cover Legia Warsaw against Sporting <laughs> Lisbon and, and, and we said and, and they went for it and we're very glad because it's, it's been an incredible adventure people are loving it we get uh, and thank you again for all your messages 
people who are listening and watching it because we get so many nice messages from mm-hmm. people saying this is the best TV show we've ever seen on, on television. So, yeah, we're very happy to be part of it. Okay, and before we finish with your Insider Five, we spoke uh, before you came on air. Um, I was talking to you about David Luiz, and I remember yes. when he signed, you made a comment, <laughs> he's a worse player than when he left. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a defence for that, and yeah. here's, here's your platform, not that you need it, but... Thank you for all the abuse and all the insult on Twitter, Chelsea fans. My point is, he was bad at PSG. Maybe because he didn't want to be there, maybe he thought he could play in a better team like Chelsea. I don't know, but he plays as a sweeper in a three or even five at the back, which is not really defending. Come on, people, you know, cut me some slack. It's not... Alan can do that job easily. <laughs> Same with Tom and I. It's like I don't not, know about that. He doesn't defend. He doesn't even mark anyone. I think he read, just... the gra- read the game incredibly well at the weekend. I no, think. he reads the game well, but a lot of people can read the game well. The problem he had at PSG, and that's why I said he, he, he came back not as, as good as he, because on one-on-one situation, he was always struggling. He was mm-hmm. always struggling, even in Ligue 1. And I think Conte acknowledged that and never put him in that one-on-one situation. So he's playing great and Chelsea are great. But I'm sorry, he's not properly defending. And he also has Matic and Conte. Even if, you know, if Aspilicueta and Cahill are living on his own, he's got Conte and Matic in front of him again. So he's so. been very well protected. Yes, I think so. But in credit to him, he's done better than I thought he would. But I think the system really, really helps him. OK, I think that's fair enough. Uh, we'll finish with your Insider Five. This is where the guest selects a five-a-side team based on their area of expertise. So if you, you Julian. This is the toughest one. <laughs> I think it is the toughest one. I'd like you to select a five-a-side team based oh. on French players who have played in the Premier League, past or present. The only criteria is you have to have seen them live. Who, who are you going for? So I, I stayed awake until like three in the morning to do this. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Even my wife and my kids were trying like, what about him and what about him? I was like, just leave me alone. So <laughs> in goal, I'll go for Igor Lloris, obviously, because the one thing maybe apart from him that we didn't bring quality to the Premier League was keepers. Fabian Bartes was probably more liability than anything else. Uh, so I'll go for Lloris. I think he's been outstanding this season and that save against Bayer Leverkusen was just or the one against uh, yeah the one against Bayer Leverkusen there, there was a few more as well but that one was just from the planet so Lloris in goal mm-hmm. then then uh, I, I really thought hard about this I'll have Makelele in there because great shout who else has a position named after yeah. and just for that just for that you know you have you have dribbles named after you, like the Crofton or you know the Maradona turn and those kind of things. But to have a role, like a football position, football role after your name, is just mental. That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. With the Makalele. We're two for two matching so far. Good oh, man. really? Quite incredible. And I just I think what Makalele <laughs> brought, you know, he was the only defender really at Real Madrid in those Galacticos teams where he was the only one defending and no one else cared about defending. And he did a great job there, obviously Chelsea. So I would have Maki there. And probably because he was so good, he was my only defender. Then I can only go with, you know, offensive players. I would have liked Koscielny there because I do think he's an incredible defender. Um, then I need someone creative, like yeah. really creative, not, not you know. So I'll go for Robert Pires. I may be biased because he's a good friend of mine, but I, I'll go for him. A wonderful <laughs> footballer. Brilliant. Yeah, wonderful footballer as well. Obviously part of the Invincible, which gives him a lot of credit because no one will ever do that again, staying unbeaten the whole season. So... I go for Robert there and he can, you know, be free, go a bit everywhere. And then I've got a front two, one being Thierry Henry. Yeah. Obviously, who else? Um, just, whether, you know, whether you like the pundit or not, whether you like the guy or not, you just cannot not like the football player. It was, it was just incredible. And, 
and, and also to reinvent himself with Arsene Wenger from a winger to a, to a centre forward I, I thought in the toughest league at the time yeah. was just incredible so credit to him and, and what he did with France as well and then the other one has to be Eric Cantona you know, yes genius because you can you know you can talk about the talent of Makelele and Pires and, and of Thierry Henry who's an incredible talent I think Cantona was just a genius and I think he never really worked that hard in his life and I know people would disagree and saying at United he, he showed the kids the way and, and, but he was a genius he didn't need mm-hmm. to work and he was that first um, kind of foreign Premier League superstar wasn't he it was yes. the, that, that first one wonderful and he was the character as well not just the player the, you know the, the attitude and uh, you know obviously not the Kung Fu kick but everything about him was just so special so he has to be there who did you have out? I went Vieira instead of Perez otherwise we're completely <laughs> matched um Maybe I'm too defensive. Yes, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Vieira and Makaleli probably <laughs> on a five-a-side pitch. Yeah, you'd be yeah. grinding out one-nil wins. And yeah. Cantona probably be <laughs> yes. crying out for the ball. Yeah. <laughs> um, George Graham as a manager, and then you got it wrong. Right. That's uh, that's a wonderful team. We did this with uh, Rafa and James Horncastle, uh, and the, the pool of players to pick from from Germany and Italy was much much smaller. Why is it that so many French players have signed for and, and been so successful in the Premier League? Do you think? I think that. Um, I think that tactically, that's where the difference is. I think, right. I remember when Johan Kabay signed for Newcastle and he arrived at the club, they just couldn't believe how clever he was. You know, tactically, well, he's a clever guy anyway, but especially mm-hmm. on the pitch in terms of football brains and tactically and stuff, he could read everything. He could be in the right position at any time. They didn't even need to tell him anything. And I think that's what they get. They know they will get someone who, who will adapt quickly. And it's obviously very close if you want to go home or this and that or the family yeah. comes over, that's easy. But also I think they realised very quickly that not only they were gifted technically, probably not as, as much as Spanish players, for example, but they were very good technically. Physically, a lot of them are good as well. But I think the huge difference was the tactic. So you go, and again, I've got nothing against English clubs' academies, but the work they do in French academies tactically Mm -hmm. is way better than the one they do in in, in English football. And you could see that. You could see where a midfielder is a box-to-box here and, and just think about going forward and driving the ball forward and then coming back and running and running and running and running. French players, especially midfielders, are far more clever. And and Makelele, again, to come back on him, he was that. He had a genius of a brain yeah. to, to in that position it's so difficult I mean because listen to these names that didn't even get anywhere <laughs> who, 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 on it? who'll be left <laughs> out <laughs> I mean Frank Leboeuf was a great defender in the Premier League yeah. uh, you know a good central defender you mentioned Koscielny you got Deschamps yeah. Jokaev who yeah. had a great little stint at Bolton didn't he Desailly. Uh, Manuel Petit Desailly, Marcel yeah. Desailly uh, Gal Clichy I mean I mean he's you know, good defender. Yeah, and, yeah it's uh, a good career. And obviously Dimitri Payet at West Ham in the in the Betway shirt, who's having a tough time of it of late, but certainly shown enough quality to to be on the fringes of this five side team. You'd need America. about eight squads. Yeah, and you could have gone. Could have gone for Anelka, yeah. yeah. Of course, so many of them. Okay, thank you very much. That is all about we have time for this week. Uh, cheers for your company, Al. Enjoyed it as ever. Very enjoyable, Tom. And our final thanks goes to Julian Loren. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Inside Thank the Podcast. Thank you very much. Anytime, boys. It was lovely. Cheers. A big thanks to Julian Loren for coming in. Alan will be back in the studio next week. If you enjoyed this Betway Insider podcast, then hit the subscribe button and the next edition will make its way to you. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook or by visiting the Betway blog. <laughs>